Welcome to the TNT EdTech Podcast. We know tech. We are your hosts. I'm Scott the Teacher. And I'm Matthew the Tech Coach. Welcome, all my friends, to the show that never ends. Come inside. Come inside. We're really excited for this episode of TNT EdTech Podcast. We have a Tech Avenger special guest joining us today, John Carippo, the Q Chief Learning Officer, Edu Protocols co-author and guru, and ruckus maker of sorts. We also have our first TNT EdTech Podcast giveaway. That's right. We have an official giveaway. I think that makes us an official podcast. So if you stay tuned to the end of the podcast, we only have one requirement for this giveaway. We hope you participate because we're really excited to share out what we have to give you. So please stay tuned to the end for that. And in this podcast, we'll also go over cool tools, pro tips, with an app that we started using for podcasting in the classroom. So let's get started. Our first segment is Tech Avengers. John Carippo is Q Chief Learning Officer, Apple Distinguished Educator, Google Certified Innovator, YouTube Star Teacher, Microsoft Innovative Educator, teaching since 1996, has been a ruckus maker even before then, creator of Q Rockstar Teacher Camps, and is the co-author with Marlena Hebburn of Edu Protocols and the upcoming Edu Protocols 2 book. You can follow John on Twitter at jcarippo and also on Twitter at eduprotocols. Without further ado, here's the man, the myth, the legend, John Carippo. So excited to see you guys. This is great. So we both got your book, Edu Protocol, and we've been uh, reading through it, learning a lot of things, talking to each other, Scott and I, about things that we're learning. We haven't finished the book. I think we're on probably on chapter, chapter 8. Chapter 8. Okay. I think I got to chapter 12 so far. But we're... Well, and if anybody hasn't read the book yet, it's not necessarily the kind of book you can you have to read from front to back either, right? You can just knock off a chapter in the bathroom and you're still fine. <laughs> <laughs> so would you uh, describe what is Edu Protocols and how do you think that increases student learning and why is it even effective for a teacher to implement? Well, I think in the simplest terms that I would put it, you guys, is that we as educators labor under the idea that we have to get through the whole book. And luckily, I went to a thing that my principal sent me to in 1996 or 7. And they basically debunked the whole book thing. You know, the book is written for the whole country to use, and which means that they put in more than you'll need. So your first perception of how much you need is broken. So then that leads to this idea that I got to get to all this. And then what happens is um, uh, that then then you you have this feeling of stress and I'm not a good teacher and all these things. Just as a sidebar, you guys, one thing that I do it uh, when I go to like rummage sales and stuff, I buy old textbooks. Okay. Uh-huh. And I want you to think about the statement I'm going to make for uh, right now. Ready? Your grandma, your grandpa, in some cases even your parents. What is their perception of their English language skills? Pretty good, probably, right? Yeah. When you look at how thin their textbooks are, 
I mean, I mean, literally, the the I've got an English language arts textbook from 1910 or 12. It's two fingers thick, you guys. So how is it that without Mimeo machines and risographs and printers, using only a textbook like that and newsprint, how did they get people to teach so well? And this is part of the idea of Edge of Protocols, is that I don't need 180 worksheets per subject to get through my year. I really don't. Edge of Protocols are about finding a best practice. And I think we talked about this at, at, um, at uh, Westwoods, you guys, when we were yeah. down there. Yeah, right. The idea is, in, in a sports practice, if you change practice every single day, your team performance will go down. But when you hook your pedagogical wagon to the idea that every day needs to be a different worksheet or different page in the book, and every day your kids are having to get reoriented to what's today's task, their performance goes down. When their performance goes down over two or three or four weeks into the beginning of the year, they start thinking, I must be bad at this. I'm a bad student. Now, you're feeling bad because you're not going to get through the whole book as a teacher. And all the kids are saying, oh, my God, this is going to be an endless array of worksheets. So <laughs> Edge of Protocols is the way. How can we, as teachers, think more like chefs? where a chef doesn't have a different dinner every day of the year. Chefs have 10 or 12 signature dishes, and they might vary by season, and certain dishes might appear in the holidays, like shepherd's pie. Shepherd's pie does not appear around July 4th because nobody wants to eat something that hot and heavy in July. <laughs> right. I want ribs. <laughs> and so, you know, a chef doesn't think that they need to have 365 meals they've perfected times three meals a day, and that's part of the idea of Edge Protocol. So how can we make our life better as educators? And how can we make our teaching far more effective? Speaking about the chef, in your book, you talk about a strategy called Iron Chef, plan, huh? collaborate, deliver. Do you right. want to share a little bit what the Iron Chef model is? Well, basically, and this is the greatest thing about the Edge of Protocols, is very few of them are new. Okay. Uh, are, are tortilla chips new to either one of you guys? No. No. no I love them. Okay. How about carne asada? New? No. no. Uh, refried beans? Nope. Nope. Had that. Nope. Um, avocado, guacamole, sour cream. Any of those new? No. No. But how old were you were the first time that you had loaded nachos? Like three or four. Wow. Okay. Well, that explains. You have a different culture background. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, uh, just last year. <laughs> you're just messing with me. Um, let's say – or you know, let's say for me, for example, the first time I really think I had bacon – macaroni and cheese i was probably about 45 and i'm thinking oh my god how could i have not thought of this until i was 45 yeah so iron chef is one of those things where all the pieces were already laying there we just never had put them together so follow this if you know what a jigsaw lesson is right that's an old yeah. time teaching trick right yeah right a jigsaw lesson hey i want scott and matt i want you guys to each read um i need you to read chapter three matt can you find me some vocab words you define and summarize scott can you find me three big concepts and two famous scientists go well that's a cool reciprocal teaching trick on paper it's nearly impossible to collect and correct because the kids are all over the place because they will be creative. So what we did was with Jigsaw, uh, we took the Jigsaw and we connected to the TV show. So now we've done this. Hey, Matt and Scott, you each get one Microsoft PowerPoint slide or you each get one Google slide 
and you only have 10 minutes to read this article, and each one of you is targeting one specific thing. So Matt, I need four vocab words. Scott, I need three main concepts. And uh, and, and so that you only build one slide in 10 minutes. Okay. Okay. And then you immediately present it. You do not make a group name. I don't want to know if you're the Desert Rats or F Troop. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Because in, in group work, you'll spend 15 minutes deciding the group name. Right. I don't right. care. In uh -huh. fact, it's minus points if you have a group name. <laughs> Next, I don't need you to walk to the front of the classroom. I don't need that awkward 30-second victory speech. I, I just need you to sit where you're at, and your group gets two minutes for five people, two minutes. One person, another person, another person, another person, another person. They do their five things that I've determined. And again, summarizing, vocabulary, questioning. Dude, it's just reciprocal teaching, except each kid has one task per slide to do. Now, in 10 minutes in my classroom, every kid has already made one slide. Now I go around the room correcting, uh, and I go like this. I give them immediate feedback. Now, let's say that Scott is a kind of guy that doesn't finish the uh, – task and let's say that Matthew is in group work normally that's a kiss of death but in Iron Chef each project stands alone each slide is its own slide and guess what there's four or five other groups doing the same exact stuff so if Matt doesn't get to summary or Scott doesn't get to vocab I got four other teams that are and I'm gonna be standing by Matt going you should take their stuff bro and you can add it to your slides so it's very reciprocal it's live and if you guys have ever had kids do slide decks and then grade them, because I'm going to bet you have, there is nothing more depressing than grading 75 PowerPoints. It, it, it's worse <laughs> than grading essays, uh -huh. right? And there's and what the only thing worse than that is watching 75 kids do a nine-minute presentation. <laughs> so I've moved to kind of the death of a thousand cuts model. You're going to – in a lot of classrooms, and I'm just going to – you guys get ready to yell out a number. Okay, All get right, ready okay. to yell out a number. Okay. How many presentations a, a year do kids do in your class? Yell a number. Ten. In your class. Ten. Matthew? Uh, I don't, I'm a tech coach, but. Well, how many do you. In, when you were in a class. Oh. In your fantasy classroom. How many yeah. a year? It would be. Well, I would do one a week, I think. Okay. okay. Wow. One a week is nice. Full blown presentation. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. So you're on the wavelength then. So in, if I do a math problem and Scott's kids present 10 times a year and your kids present 32 times a year, even if Scott's not as good a teacher as you are, uh -huh. who's going to have the better presenters? You are. Okay. Yeah. Just Right? Because yeah. your kids are going to do it 30 times. Right. Just think sports. Right. If my team practices fourth down plays 30 times and you practice 10 times, you're going to have to have some pretty good athletes True. <laughs> to beat my team. Yeah. So I've just extrapolated that to this. Instead of doing 10 presentations a year, Scott, I'm going to do one a week. I'm going to take the Matthew plan. I'm going to do one a week, but it's only going to be one slide. And they only get two minutes to present. And what happens is the kids are going to win more on reps than they will on depth. No, I So I I'll, I'll like use it. this sports and... metaphor again. Would you yeah. rather play 20 minutes of tackle football every week for 32 weeks or play three games a year? Who's going to be better? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the purposeful practice guys going every yeah. week. Yep. Yep, exactly. So that's the concept. And then as a teacher, I'm grading them in real time. 
I'm walking around, right? I'm walking around. And and I don't I'm not grading anything tonight. I'm I'm gonna be honest. I'm too lazy for that. I'm gonna grade it now. And the other flip is that when you uh when you grade it in real time, kids grow faster. The more feedback I give kids, the faster they get better. So Scott, in your model, uh, and I'm and I'm not beating you up, I'm just saying, let's say that you do um let's say you do 10 a year, and let's say it takes you a week or two to get back to the kids uh on their feedback. My kids have gotten feedback five times before your kids have. Right, that's which huge. means every every fifth time that you go, my guys have gone five or six. And Who's they're going to grow faster. They're getting immediate feedback. Immediate feedback, exactly. Immediate. So those are all really big, different. Uh, you know, those are huge changes. Yeah, that is huge. Uh, that and that reminds- paradox is my workload actually goes down. Yeah, I like that, the the low prep, high outcome, right? Yep, yep. And the other piece is once I do this five, uh, let's say I do this in five classes a day. Oh, my God, it's even more. It's crazy. So basically all of the edge of protocols are built around that kind of a thing where uh, low prep, fast feedback, low grading uh, load, and it changes the way people's classrooms work. No, totally. Just me implementing some of that stuff has already made a huge difference. Huge, huge and difference. Then, and here's and here's the the amplifying. Once kids know they can win and they are getting better, once they feel that, your classroom culture fixes itself. You know, it really has. I've noticed a huge improvement and some of my struggling students have really gained some of that confidence with mm-hmm. presenting and the PowerPoints. They're like, oh, another PowerPoint? Okay, we got this. How many slides? You know, what are we doing today? Um, it's not like, oh, we're doing another one. It's like, no, I'm ready for the challenge. What? What is it? Exactly. It's so, and it's so unexpected because normally if you tell kids, we're going to do this worksheet again, dude, it is the French Revolution. It right? is. It is. <laughs> but when you say we're iron chefing, the only thing that's changing today is we're talking about global warming in Wired magazine instead of Scientific American. The kids are like, let's roll, bro. I got this. Uh, that reminds me of the Freyer model that you talk about using. I think it's in Chapter 8. Yeah. I, I liked how you took something old. You talked about it uh, being around since 69, and you really made right. it new and relevant again. What are some other like models and organizers that – you suggest people kind of upcycle. I would definitely upcycle some Madeline Hunter. And uh, Madeline Hunter was the queen of lesson design. And uh, two major things happened that, that kind of really ran that into the ditch. Uh, one was NCLB became test prep factory. So we really lost the art of teaching in that model. Uh, I started seeing districts all over the place that were doing the, you know, you got to be on chapter three by the second week of October, that kind of business. You got to be on page four, uh, 410 by October 3rd. And that really destroys teaching. Right. Makes it so monotonous. I wasn't teaching during that time, but the teachers yeah. locally refer to it as drill and kill. Yeah. Yeah, it was largely drill and kill. I would also call it test and punish because uh, if you don't get a high end of the year test score, you lose an elective. What the frick is that? You're talking about kids kids that aren't doing well in school and then you give them less electives. Dude, the only reason I went to school was for electives. Right. I was faking yeah, my way too. through the other classes. When I have no electives, you are dead. 
<laughs> that is it is over, bro. It's kind of like uh, I opened a high school a few years ago, and our English teachers got together. I was the pr co principal, and they said, "Hey, we want to we want to have a new class next year." And I was like, "Yeah, what do you got?" We want to do creative writing. And I was like, Whoa. what in the hell are you doing in English right now that you need a separate <laughs> class to do creative writing? <laughs> like when you think about it that way, it's so uh -huh. upside down. But the, the profession of teaching had taught them that English was serious and that if you wanted to have fun writing, you needed to have a different class. And my logic is, dude, no, no, no. Fold the fun right in. Um, it's also what I call the sushi model. I don't think we talked about this the other no, day. No, no, this is uh, fresh. Wow. Yeah, so the sushi model goes like this. Uh, let's pretend that you two guys are young teachers, and I want to take you out for sushi, and you've never been out for sushi. Do I take you straight to the quail egg? No, Matthew will throw up. <laughs> we don't do that. Do I go straight to the the water, uh, the freshwater eel? No, Scott will faint. <laughs> if, I, if I'm taking you out for dinner, and you've never been to sushi, this is the sushi model. I'm going to start you off with vegetable tempura. You know why? It's just JoJo's. You can get this at 7-Eleven, uh -huh. and there's, the only difference is it's broccoli and yams instead of taters, okay? And you're like, oh, hey, this is kind of good. You're grooving. Next, what do I bring? Throw, throw something out. What do I do next? Crab. Soft-shell crab. Wrong. No, oh. wrong. <laughs> then they're going to be like, oh, raw crab. No. What do you got, Matthew? What's yours? Tuna. No, 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 no I was fun. thinking that the imitation crab or like the deep fried crab. California it's actually, oh, there if you go. I've taken a person who is totally terrified about eating new kinds of foods to a Japanese restaurant, their second item is going to be chicken teriyaki. Oh. <laughs> okay. Because now I'm just now I'm telling them I'm showing them because if you guys I believe you both at your advanced ages have been <laughs> to a Japanese restaurant chicken teriyaki at a Japanese restaurant is nothing like chicken teriyaki on a Carl's Jr. hamburger oh, right it's a whole other flavor after that what shows up now what now what shows up I like Matthews tell California roll okay California rolls a, I would go cucumber roll but okay. you're in the right department right okay. because there's no sea urchin eggs. There's no unidentifiable parts of animals. It's mostly a little seaweed, some rice, and not very much tuna. You can barely tell it's there, really. But you're getting them used to their wasabi and their jiving. Now, while they start enjoying their California roll or cucumber roll, guess what I order? Godzilla roll. Uh, what's in the Godzilla roll? Well, a Godzilla roll is it's like a, a California roll, but bigger, and it comes with this white sauce. It's a big production. It's got dribbled red sauce. I don't even know what's in it, but <laughs> think of a really big piece of sushi with some kind of like gravy over it with a red dribble of something else. And I just started eating it, and I don't tell them, "Do you want some?" But they start eyeballing it. I'm like, "You want you want to try the Godzilla roll?" And then boom, they're in. Once they have the Godzilla roll, they start grabbing the menu. What else you got? I think that this is the same way we need to approach kids. We start with something that's so zany and so fun that they can't believe they're doing it in school. I'll give you two quick examples. Uh, I taught sophomore English, and my, my boys, I wanted them to understand how Venn diagrams work. And I, I, all I did is I drew a Venn diagram on the board. That's all I did. I just drew a Venn diagram. And they started growing. And I'm like, bro, you can't hate the Venn diagram. This is how you pick a Visa card. This is how you decide if you go Tesla or Porsche E70. The Venn diagram is not about books. It's about comparing. So I have them do a Venn diagram on Big Mac versus Whopper. And they had never thought of that. 
They had never thought of comparing things that way. So I could have started off with Othello versus 1984 or, you know, Lord of the Flies versus some other dystopian, and I would have lost them. So I, I just went to the sushi method. I said, when you pick a hamburger the next time, I want you to see that Venn diagram in your head that says, do I want barbecue sauce or do I want mayonnaise? Do I want sesame seed bun or do I want regular? And, and getting kids to think that way allows them, and this is the paradox, if I do a couple of play around lessons like that and get them learning how to compare, then they can compare anything. Uh-huh. And my real goal is not to teach them to compare one of Shakespeare's plays. My goal is to be able to get them to compare anything. That's the trick. Yeah. Wow. No, mind mind blown. There's something so simple. I really like that. Right. That analogy. And that's just the, the the culture of teaching has untaught you everything you know outside in real life. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it has. Uh, in you many, do all those things in real life. But when you go to school, you're like, nope, nope, we don't do it that way here. Yeah, and that's part of. And think about it. it think it, about it. Yeah, I hear that a lot. Yeah, oh, we don't you, do it that way here, dude. If we do it that way in real life, <laughs> oh my god, are you kidding me? Have you ever had kids ask you for worksheets? Like, hey, where, where's the worksheets at? Yeah. Now, when we were uh, at that school. Uh, we actually had a few kids that did not buy into this concept, and I was I was not as good at designing edge protocols in those days. We were pushing PBL real hard, and what you'll find is when you have kids who are minimalists at school and they've been trained to not care about school, i.e., their future. What happens is there's a there is a very small group of kids, and as a percent, I would say it's like one and a half percent who will literally come to you and say, "I don't like doing this stuff." I want the worksheets. And then when you really start talking to them, what, what happens is they don't want to share they don't want to share themselves with the class. And it takes a commitment to be good at making a cyber sandwich or an iron chef or a good presentation. It's impossible to sit in the back of the class and just answer scantrons. That rapidly disappears. And so at that school at that time, we basically told them, well, here's the thing. This is our jam. This is what we do. We are surrounded by schools that will give you a wall of worksheets. And if that's what you want, you can transfer. Nobody's going to be mad at you. Go go to the other school. I am not here to do the same thing that we've always done because I know what that's going to get you as an adult. But if you don't want to do this anymore, go get them. Have a great time. You're a free agent. And I'll tell you what, about 30 to 40% of them came back within three or four months, and they're like, oh, my God, I can't do that anymore. I didn't realize how sucky it really was. I just thought it was easier, but I didn't realize it was brain-killing me. I can't. I'm back. I get it. I'm in. And some of those kids were the most committed kids we ever had after that because they'd seen the difference. Here's another example for you guys. People talk about, oh, college. we got to prepare for college. It's so hard. Here's my question for you guys right now. If I dropped both of you guys into a uh, an English one or a math one or a anthropology one at the college level, how would you react? You'd be like, dude, this is easy, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't be terrified of that. No. You know why? You've already seen the elephant, man. You've already seen the elephant. You know you can summarize. You know you can take notes. You know you can read anything that teacher gives you, right? The only variable is how crazy is the professor, and we know that story. Sometimes that's, sometimes that's the whole problem. 
but you're not terrified of taking a class. Now, if I dropped you guys into nuclear physics, okay, yeah, that would freak you out. Yeah. But I'm talking about a regular kind of humanities uh, stats, a regular kind of class, econ. That's not going to scare you guys because you're like, what? So you're going to lecture at me three hours a week, and then you're going to give me multiple choice every three weeks. Ooh, so scared. So scared. We need to give kids that example in K-12 that you can summarize anything, you can read anything, you can comment on anything. But we make them sit quietly all day, and then we're surprised that when we ask them stuff, they don't know what to say. It's in, crazy. In your book, at Jew Protocols, you talk about a study, I believe, where it was saying that non-creativity is a learned behavior. Well, yeah, that's I think the part you're referring to is when we're talking about Ken Robinson uh, and that there are if you look up studies and that's not Ken's stat, uh, his, his video has been watched 44 million times. But there's a real study in there that Marlena, I think, added some of the, the longer data to. But you can actually track um, the amount of kids that consider themselves genius level and the farther they get into public school, the lower the number is. So like as a kindergartner. I remember this from Sir Ken's video, something like 97% of the kids are considered genius level because they're freewheeling and they're open-minded, right? And they can, they'll, they'll attack a problem and figure out a solution, right? But by the time they're in fifth and sixth grade, they say that's dumb. <laughs> they don't do anything. And school is training them into that. And I would encourage you guys um, and your listeners, read yourselves, um, read some John Taylor Gatto. Uh, read some John Taylor Gatto. Very interesting uh, about the fact that school was built to dehumanize and depersonalize people because that kind of that kind of person is easier to sell things to and easier to control from a government point of view. And so the actual purpose of school is to dehumanize people. So when you when you get a bunch of seventh and eighth graders, and this is the cliche because I've taught middle school for over a decade. Uh, oh my God, they're so apathetic. They're so angry. They won't connect. Dude, they were taught to be that way in K-4. Ah. Like, here's a funny thought for you guys. There was no such thing as a teenager until the 1950s. Yeah, and that makes sense. I was reading some old books that, that my yeah, father That's a completely made-up concept. Yeah. The, the angry teenager is a completely made-up concept. And I would argue that the angry teenager, to some degree, is a response to the efficiency of the modern schooling system. There was no angry teenagers in the medieval ages. <laughs> yeah, they were out. They were out making their career when they were sixteen, right? right, right. They were out there. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't like, "Don't make me sit in class all day. I'll be angry." <laughs> hey, I got a question about your book layout and design. Who came up with that? And like, why did you add so much blank space and sections Th that, for note taking? That is. Literally, um, that is my super awesome co-author Marlene at work, and that's a great example of collaboration because we had this book that we thought was really cool, and she said, I'm going to work with the designer, and I think that we should add notes all the way through the book. And whether she had seen that somewhere or just thought it was a good idea, I do not know to this day. But that was all Marlena, and yeah, it's so cool. People text me and, and tweet me pictures of their book where the sidebars are just full of stuff. And then the little cartoons, that was all Marlena too. Oh, that's that's great. I really like that. And being an English teacher, I'm like, wow, this is perfect. I can take notes. I'm encouraged to take notes. Right. I feel like I right. have to take notes when I'm yep. going through. 
Yeah, and even if it's just, I, we've seen some people sketch note their way through it. So like, and I've got a whole bunch of other people that they just put a ton of post-it notes in, and uh, it's really cool to see that. And so the cartoons are back in book two, and so are so is the margin. When is book two coming out? Yeah. Uh, well, literally, it's 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 getting laid out right now. So the manuscript's done, the drafts are done, the little funny cartoons of John and Mylena are done, the cover's done. So I'm thinking sometime in the next two to three weeks. It's, it's imminent. Okay, wow. That's that's really soon. And then uh, the other thing, I, I definitely like it's a book form like Scott talked about, but it's interactive with the note-taking that you can involve in it. You also have activities with the 4C throwdown and, mm -hmm. and quizzes for us in the book to make it interactive. Do, do you do any of these 4C throwdowns in any professional development? or? Oh, yeah. 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 Oh yeah. I do it all the time because, uh, and again, I, I think we, we, I think we did talk about this analogy that if, 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 uh, if the only way that you know how to cook a hot dog is with those roller things that they have at AM PM, uh -huh. <laughs> you, you have no idea there's such a thing as a barbecued hot dog <laughs> or, or, and I would, I would, I'm going to argue Costco does a really good job with boiled hot dogs, right? Oh, yeah. I'm there with you. Yeah. So, so, but imagine if you work at a place where you don't know that there's any other way to cook a hot dog but the rollers, and you live in an insular environment where all you think is good is hot dogs at a.m., p.m., and you don't know there's a Chicago dog or bacon-wrapped hot dog. You don't know that there's uh, pretzel buns. That's kind of where we're at in teaching. We think that we've explored the full possibilities. I will use another another analogy. How many flavors of beer are there now? And I spent 40 years thinking that there were Coors, Bud Light, Michelob, Corona, Red Stripe, Rolling Rock, and that was pretty much the whole planet, maybe Miller, right? And now we literally have an infinite level, infinite number of beers being made. And why aren't we applying that kind of appetite and hunger to teaching? And here's my favorite example, the hamburger paragraph, man. Are you kidding me? I see people teaching kids the hamburger in first grade, second grade, third grade, fifth grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, junior college. If the hamburger is all that represents our professionalism, that is a sad little AM PM to me. That is unattractive. Like, why don't we have a, a foot long paragraph? Why don't we have a shish kebab paragraph? And we don't. We don't. There's like, well, it's it's kind of like Joe Dirt, right? I like snakes and sparklers, and that's all I got. So I got hamburger paragraphs. And Scott, what grade what grade level of English do you teach? Uh, ninth and tenth, but mostly tenth. Okay. And do you have kids that show up trying to make you think that this is a good paragraph? Hi, my name is. I'm going to tell you about firstly, secondly, thirdly. I hope you like my paragraph. Do you have that? Yes. And that is not how humans write spontaneously. They were trained into that level of crappy 7-Eleven nachos. They were trained into that. Yes. And so my logic is, why don't we train them at a higher level? Uh-huh. And we have to blame our professionalism for that. Because we, if we're going to say that we're the owners of knowledge, we have to blow people's minds, right? No, you're absolutely right. We we got to own it. You know, my, shoot, when I mess up, I own it. There was this... Um, awesome lesson i got it from uh matt miller and i'm like okay let, let me do this and i killed it and then i wanted to follow up with my own kind of thing and it totally flopped normally when something flops like that first period 
you know, might flop again a little bit third period, but then by like uh, fourth period, I'm rolling. And definitely by seventh period, I've nailed it. Right. So why not give that opportunity to your kids by doing the same four activities a day for three weeks so that they can say on Monday, I'm going to get clocked. But by Friday, I'm straight A's. Yeah. That applies to the kids, too. Yeah. And you talk about that in the book, too. It's escaping me right now. What do you call that? that method is that um in chapter seven when you're talking about like the prezos like the worst prezos is that or am i mistaken yeah i think in, in, at least in book two because my my book one has partially been overwritten by my book two uh in book in book two we talk about stacking where you take one you take one thing and you get good at it, and now you can do two things, and then you can do three things. And since I do food analogies, do you really want to go from not really being able to cook dinner to going straight to Thanksgiving? I'm going to say that's a bad idea. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to try to do the entire Thanksgiving dinner. So what do you start with, Scott? Well, I'll try the mashed potatoes, right? And maybe year one, <laughs> maybe year one, uh, maybe maybe you do the the powdered ones right and then you go hey that wasn't bad but i want to step it up a little bit i'm gonna step it up so then year two you try that well it's a process right it's a, it's you don't just go from zero to thanksgiving dinner because one of the problems with thanksgiving dinner is it only happens one day a year if you screw that up everybody's going to be giving you hell all year long so i think we can bring some of those same kind of logics to our work with kids like what if i just get kids to write really good sentences and then if i can get them to write really good sentences i can get them to write really good paragraphs if i spend more time really writing really good paragraphs i can then have them write really good paragraphs as long as i want but what we tend to do is go straight to five page essay i don't want to grade that i certainly don't want to read that crap right it's bad if you've been out there in the wild it's bad and it is rough, yeah. And and then and then you're slowly start getting more frustrating with the kids because you're like, I keep assigning this and they're not getting better. Mm. And and it just goes weird. So that's one of the ones in book two, whereas the the random emoji power paragraph. Um, I give kids a string of emoji and they have to turn it into a paragraph. And there's only one rule in a paragraph pursuing an idea. So I'm just training them to pursue an idea, pursue an idea for five sentences without changing the subject. And then over here in eight parts or sentence parts, I might be teaching them compound sentences or positives. And then I do this in your a random emoji power paragraph. I need at least one a positive today. And by the way, I need it to be in first person. And now I'm grading it in nearly real time because it's just one paragraph, but it's one incredible paragraph. It's one paragraph that stays on point. It's one paragraph that uses certain types of sentences on demand. It's paragraphs that, that are fun and engaging and interesting. And once a kid can write one really good paragraph, dude, they can write until they're tired of writing at that point. Because a lot of times we think that, uh, well, if we want kids to write better, we better write five-paragraph essays every day. But the problem is who's going to grade it? <laughs> right, not me. Uh, I'm working on cutting down. Uh, it's been a yeah. lifesaver. I went from spending like 18 hours grading essays to – Oh, my know, gosh, no. I can probably are you on another secret less. right now, Scott? What was that? I'll give you a secret. I'll give you a secret right now. <laughs> this is how you grade essays. Ready? I'm writing. You get, you get the whole stack. Uh-huh. You skim every essay. You do not mark any up. You know why? They're not going to read your crap anyways. They're not. 
They are not going to read what you write. It'll end up on the floor. Am I wrong? Tell me if I'm wrong. You are not wrong. Okay. <laughs> I love that choral response. Um, then, okay, so I don't need to give them individualized feedback right now because it's only the first week of school and these are a disaster. So what I'm doing on my little sidebar is I'm going through and I am marking down the top three errors that are most likely for the whole class. Mm, okay. Now, when we come back to class tomorrow, this is what's going to happen. I read your essays last night, and I'm pretty disappointed to see that we don't know how to capitalize I or do an indention. <laughs> and I bury that sucker. I do three or four or five days of many, many lessons that eliminate that problem, right? Uh -huh. Next week, we go to write our essay, and I say these words. You better not what, – what's one of your things that kids do a lot to you, Scott? Ah, uh, not citing their evidence properly. Okay, so here's the deal. Um, I, want, I want your essay done in workmanlike manner, and you must have at least one footnote today. And here's my logic. If they can do one footnote correctly, they can do a 1,000 correctly. And I used to tell my kids this. Uh, you can hate your college professors, but you won't hate me. I need three sources. Right. <laughs> That's true. Now, when you get to college, they're going to tell you you need to cite everything. I don't got time for that. I'm just going to teach you how to cite correctly. Oh, I like you that. You see the shift I'm there? I'm still in that see the line. Shift? <laughs> yeah. The shift is I, do, I don't need to ask you to do what they do in college, which is to cite every source. I don't need to do that. Because I don't have five adult TAs to grade by papers, college professor, okay? But I can say that we need to knock out three hot rod paragraphs with two footnotes and a proper citation. That I can do. And I can train them to do that really quickly. And I see, uh, you know, I made this mistake too as a teacher. Well, it's time to do a three-week three unit on citation. No, we're going to do an Iron Chef every week. So when I think they're getting pretty good at Iron Chefing, I'm going to say this. I need a citation. Go. What's that? Copy paste the freaking URL. <laughs> put it at the bottom with a little bitty one. Okay. And then and then that's just baked in. We we're gonna do it the next 17 times this year. So I don't have to stop and design a unit. And it never goes away. From then on for the rest of the year, citations a thing. Or parentheticals are even lazier, right? I mean, I just need I just need the uh, parent, a parenthesis with your name and the year, and then I need to use like EasyBib to drop it in at the bottom. I'm done. I'm not doing a three-week unit on that. That's five clicks. Yeah, yeah, true. One of my proudest days as a teacher, I was I had a student teacher working in my class, and this was the class again. And when I taught high school English, I asked for the worst kids in class in, in English because I wanted to see how far I could push them without wrecking them, and uh. One of the kids came up to me and he goes, hey, Cripple, for citation today, do you want full URL or uh, like a footnote? And I was like, oh, my God, he's thinking. He's thinking. It's amazing. And that kid just graduated with a master's in math. What? That's amazing. So, and, and so and he was he was a, he was he was a great kid. He was one of the funnest kids ever, but he was an academic whack job. He was all over the place. But instead of doing a three week unit on citation. And then feeling bad because they don't know how to do it nine weeks later. Does that make sense? Right. It does. I start really easy. I need really kick-ass paragraphs. Then I need really kick-ass um, 
uh, sorry, sentences, then kick-ass paragraphs using kick-ass sentences inside of them. And when they get where I can give them a picture of anything and their heads blow and they go, oh, I can't wait to do a semicolon on that. Oh, yeah, let's let it rip. Then I just fold in parentheses or, uh, sorry, parentheticals or footnotes or whatever. And, and it's on for the rest of the year. And then three weeks later, guess what I'm going to add? I'm going to add pull quotes. And, or I'm going to add quotes from from the, the person being – If you, you haven't lived until you've had kids tell you they can't find a quote from Caesar. I'm like, oh, my God, dude, you do not know how quotes work at all. Are you telling me you can find no quotes from Caesar? Find any book where Caesar talks and you just found quotes about Caesar. You've got to be kidding me right now. But um, the other one that I think that happens in K-8 a lot is this. You can't copy sentences from the book. You sure can. You sure can. The trick is the ratio, the ratio, and the citation. So I would teach my kids, if I'm doing a science report and I know I can write three or four or five sentences about a given area, and I copy over one sentence from Scientific American or one sentence from this you know, research book, I just turn my five-paragraph essay uh, – sorry, five-sentence paragraph into a seven-paragraph sentence. And all I got to do is be willing to footnote it or parenthetical it, and I'm golden. And they were like, what? No way! I go, yeah, bro. It's legal. It's totally legal. I did it all the way through college. <laughs> But you gotta have you gotta have that bit where it says where it came from, and it's really interesting because when you start teaching kids how to attribute things correctly on an ongoing basis, they really honor it. They're really really good. Yeah, I love seeing that that student growth. Um, as we yep. kind of wrap up here, what kind of final thoughts would you have for our listeners? Like if they're wanting to start implementing edu protocols is there one you think is like the best one to start yeah. with like a s smart start i think uh well first of all we're 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 in may now right so what happens in may is we start wrapping up state testing so my suggestion i'm going to just talk to you guys cuz i know you and then your listeners can steal what they want to sounds good my logic my logic would be uh that uh you do a fantastic finish scott don't wait till the fall. Do fantastic finish. You know what fantastic finish is? It's the same thing as smart start, but it's the second till the last week of school. Same exact thing, except when. So you're going to practice on next year's kids on this year's kids because this year's kids, they don't they don't think you're cool anymore by this time of the year anyways, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you got nothing to lose. So I would say do some of the smart start type of stuff um, the, and plan for it the second or third. Uh, week before school ends it's that weird time when you can't really assign new work because you don't have time to grade it let's be honest right there's that dead spot but you sure as heck can give them an effort grade every day how long does that take to score about four seconds everybody finishes easy a today who wants some easy a's you do right now you don't tell them it's only a 5.8 and it won't really adjust their milk <laughs> that's a whole other <laughs> But you just start selling it like that. You just start selling it like, okay, here we go. I want to do this thing. And what you're really doing is using them as uh, test models for what you're going to do in the fall. So that's fantastic finish, okay? It's a great way to end the year and all that funkiness because your big project is done, your big essay is done, your big presentation is done, and they don't want to watch movies with you, okay? Because the movies you can watch at school, they don't care about, and they certainly don't want to watch a movie with an adult. So – um, especially a school adult. So 
fantastic finish is a great way to wrap up your year using some of the smart start stuff. Um, and in terms of protocols in general, uh, the fa the first and easiest one to start with is really a proto protocol, which is the fast and curious, which Scott, you said you've been doing a little bit because it, it shows you what's possible with fast feedback. Fast feedback changes the bold words into a party. It is totally different and crazy. Um, and then I think a Cyber Sandwich and um, Iron Chef are two of my favorite easy ones. But here's my overall caution, and then we can wrap up the show. You want to start an edge of protocol on something that is pop culture-y. Okay, so Scott, you're an English teacher. You do not go straight to Shakespeare, bro. You don't. You do one, and if you want to read a funny one, uh, but it's too long, unfortunately, uh, look up the Wikipedia article on Colonel Sanders. It's crazy. That dude had a crazy life. He was a big fist fighter and brawler when he was, when he was in his 20s. Yeah. The biggest problem with this Wikipedia page is it's so crazy long that it's it's overwhelming. So I will go to I will go to like history of the Big Mac, um, history of Double Double. Um, history of Vans tennis shoes, first day that Disneyland opened. I will pick something goofy. New Kids on the Block, Bon Jovi, have the music playing while they're researching. And what you're doing on the first two rounds at least of a protocol is you are teaching you how to lead it. I love that. And you're giving the kids a grade for working hard. That's all their grade is. You don't get into – it's very Bob Ross, like, hey, that, that bird's red. Okay, well, it's a bird, so here we, here we go. You help them out for the next day, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and the goal is to build them into a connoisseur that when I say we're iron chefing today, they go, oh, my God, yes. You don't want to start off with a with something that's too technical because then you're and this is me I'm super positive but when the kids screw up the assignment and I lose a day of work I'm resentful and I don't want that in my heart when I'm teaching so I I need to make sure that we're doing something goofy fun and like Iron Chef dude I need four facts about the origin of Vans shoes that's it that's all I need I need four facts about the most uh, popular models or, or, you know, types of van shoes. That's all I need. I just need those four things. And then I'm going to be really loosey goosey with the, um, with the, uh, with the way that that works. I think that it's really key because what I'm doing is I'm learning how to teach the protocol. And then when it's time to fully teach it, I already know how the flow works. I know where they're going to fall apart on me. And so I can anticipate those things. So I'm moving around the classroom, making sure that those things don't fall apart. Does that make sense? It sure does. Oh, perfectly. And I, and I like that strategy because, you know, the two rounds, they're getting engaged. They're excited. They're also almost like a mini tech boot camp. It's not all about the content. Yeah, yeah. They're learning yeah. the tools. And you can say things like, and that's a great, Matthew, you're blowing my mind right now because you could do this. I got bonus points today for anybody that uses word art. And then they do this. What's word art? Not my problem, bro. But since it's a low fail issue, doesn't care. If I can get one kid in the class to do word art right then, they will blow everybody's minds and train them for me. So yes, Matthew, you're totally on. John, as you're talking about some of these edu protocols teachers can use, your website, edu protocols, has these amazing appetizers, desserts, goodies on it for them to get started. Oh right? yeah, tons of free stuff. Yeah, fantastic. Because we're all about the open pedagogy. We don't, we're not trying to make people buy the book. They could literally not buy the book and figure this out. 
but the book's fun to read, so they should. No, they should buy the book. Uh, you know, generally I tend to think like that, like, oh, if I don't need to buy the book, I'm not going to buy it. But you know what? There's so much here, and especially with the space, it, it's like a, a field guide. You can take it out. Yeah, and that's why we named it Field Guide, because we didn't want it to be like a research-based thing. Like, I don't want to get into a fit with people who say, well, this isn't technically correct. Dude, I'm telling you this is what works in real life. Now, if you want to go research it, I will talk to you in nine years when your research is done. But in the meantime, I will have worked with 700 kids, so go ahead and research it all you want. Thank you, John, for joining us again. And you can follow John on Twitter at jcaripo and also at eduprotocols. Also, check out eduprotocols written by Marlena Hebbard and John Caripo. We're happy to introduce a new segment, TNT Giveaways. Hey, guys. We have a special deal here for our listeners in conjunction with the 2019 Badge Summit, which is taking place in Philadelphia on June 22nd. It's a Saturday, so if you're going to ISTE, you'll already be in the area. Uh, you could probably hit this up. Uh, we're giving away a uh, complimentary registration. In fact, not one, but Two And so all you need to do to be entered for that is to just leave us a review on on your podcast player of choice. So go ahead and subscribe to TNT EdTech Podcast. And in that player, find where you can do a review and leave a review for our podcast. Then to enter the giveaway, head to TNTEdTech.com. And at the top of the webpage, will be the Badge Summit giveaway that you can click on. And it's just an online Google form just to fill out. And we're going to do a random drawing for two lucky listeners to go to the 2019 Badge Summit. And we'll do that drawing on Monday, May 20th at 5 p.m. Uh, we'll contact the lucky winners and also... Uh, announce it on our next podcast that's great and to give you a little background on the badge summit it's a one-day event and it's bringing together some of the most inspiring and brightest leaders of today and there's a variety of content addressing world-changing work in k-12 professional development higher ed and the workforce and these diverse sessions are mapped out in a variety of ways. There's presentations, panels, design thinking, consultations. Uh, so be sure to check out the website as well. It's bit.ly slash badge summit. And this is a fantastic conference. I like you that you said it's complimentary to if you're going to ISTE. Yeah, you just show up a day early and hit this one up too. And remember, we're giving away how many? Two. Two free tickets. So get on that right away. Let's get ready for cool tools and pro tips. When we sit down to plan out something we're going to release to the world, we have to think about so many factors that will determine its success, including audience, purpose, tone, message, 
and podcasting creates a real-world workspace for building one's own voice. Podcasting with students encourages them to think about their own voices. Ideas to use podcasting in the classroom, I came across this really great article on Medium from Brian Lamb titled Seven Ways to Use Synth with K-12 Students. So one of the apps that we're trying in the classroom is the Synth app for podcasting. And these are some of the ideas that are shared in this article. Applications for podcasting in the classroom can include audio exit tickets, setting up a podcast for the whole class, the teacher can have a question prompt, and students are responding to that question prompt through audio and their voice. Another idea is reflections, giving the students a chance to synthesize what they're thinking after an activity helps cement that in. Another idea is presenting evidence of students' thinking. Students can explain their work and their supporting materials uh, in a project that they're working on. Language practice is essential with podcasting and audio recording where the student is able to hear their proper demonstrations, repeat them, uh, improve them, practice them uh, for a good audio recording. You can definitely use podcasting audio recordings uh, with other apps. So you can put links to them if you're using Padlet, Nearpod, Quizlet, Edpuzzle. So you can definitely introduce concepts with audio and especially with the web hosting it, get the web link, you can put it into your other apps that you're using in the classroom. And one of my favorite ideas and this is one that you can build the community within your classroom, is having students interview each other, uh, like a traditional podcast, right? So students can build uh, their communication skills, build those 21st century skills with podcasting. They'll get to introduce uh, the participants, their pairing student, and they'll get to pose different questions and provide answers within that podcast, which can create a real interesting dialogue between students in the classroom. So what can you use to try this out, podcasting in the classroom? Well, one app that we started using in the classroom is Synth, and the website is gosynth.com forward slash m forward slash education. Uh, we'll put that in our show notes, but you can visit gosynth.com and just look for the education link to go to the educational section uh, to sign up. So pretty much teachers sign up and once you get in there, you just click podcast at the top and you'll be able to title it, give it a title, put a description. You can add different links to it if you like, and you can start the first recording and it could be an example, it could be posing the question to the students or what you want them to do with recording their audio. Then what you do as a teacher for the educational edition, you get a join code. So it gives you a website students go to, they put in the join code to join that session. And then students can add to the thread that you started as a teacher. And in the end, you have a complete episode of a podcast. So give it a try. Again, visit gosynth.com forward slash M forward slash education. And definitely hit us up on Twitter or the DMs and let us know how you're using podcasting in your classroom. 
Thank you, all our Edu Awesome listeners. We've been getting really great feedback from you all. Keep that coming. Make sure you give us some reviews in your podcast player of choice. And to lead us out is John Carippo. I'm John Carippo, co-author of the Edu Protocol Field Guide. If you want to teach better and work less, you want to listen to the TNT EdTech Podcast, available on Apple Podcast, and it's totally free. Please subscribe and leave positive reviews. Oh, I love it. You are the man, John. Yeah, that was that was fun. That was fun. Good, 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 good. And I, I just love getting the word out there. I feel like there was like a, I remember a saying like when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. You're like, yep, the, yep. you're the guru. Yeah. Oh, and I've, I've been doing this 23 years now, so I've learned how to let people know what they need to know when they need to know it.